and welcome to episode 67 of Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and this is a podcast about communication skills. So in the last few episodes, we've been discussing some features of communication that are essential or really good no matter what the circumstance, whether you're in an interpersonal situation, a small group situation, you're speaking, etc., Um, So we talked about balancing warmth and directness. We talked about avoiding invalidating others. We talked about focusing on meaning and not information. And we talked about controlling the chain of signification. Today, I want to talk about another component of effective communication, regardless of circumstance or occasion, and that's authenticity. And I want to talk a little bit about what authenticity is and why it's essential for good communication or how it aids effective communication. Um, Authenticity, you know, I was talking to someone the other day that was claimed to be a member of a group uh, of authentic communicators and I kind of chuckled and I wondered if they even, if they knew what that meant. Uh, And I asked some questions and I didn't get a very clear definition or understanding of authenticity. So I'm gonna start by offering a description of what authenticity is. Um, and then how it matters for communication. Okay, so authenticity is when there's an alignment between uh, your experience in the world, your awareness of that experience, and your communication of that awareness. So there's three components uh, that have to be all sort of tied together in order for you to be authentic. So experience, okay. All of us are having an experience of the world. We go along around the world having experiences all the time. Um, That's fine, it's not complicated, it's fairly simple. But we also have an awareness, a self-conscious reflective awareness uh, of what's going on in that experience of the world. So this is sometimes called intrapersonal communication also. I called that in previous episodes. Um, But it could be the case that you are having an experience and aren't really aware, consciously aware of, or engaged in intrapersonal communication about that experience that actually lines up with with what's happening. So uh, tomorrow, or a couple days from now, is the first day of class at my university. And uh, here's an example of what might happen. Let's say there's a new faculty member. They're teaching a class for the first time. They go into class on Wednesday. And they're about to have an experience of teaching their first class. And they say to themselves, like, oh, this is a piece of cake. I'm not nervous. I've got this. Meanwhile, everything else about their experience is is. Um, is communicating the fact that they're nervous, uncertain, unsure of what's, what's going on. Uh, they're a little bit scared to screw up, etc. So they're having all these feelings in that experience, but they're not even consciously sort of aware or reflective about those 
those feelings. So usually, so um, this is, I've talked about Antonio Damasio before, like whenever you're having an experience of the, of the world, which is kind of all the time, you've got a, a physiological response. You've got a kind of set of emotions that are tied to that experience. The question is whether you're aware of them or not. And if a person's really nervous going into a class, yet tells themselves that they're not really nervous, then it's not clear that they have an awareness of what they're actually experiencing. So these days in school, and my kids are, are in, in elementary school and primary school now, the younger one is at least, they teach children how to, to emotionally self-label or emotionally label what they're feeling because they're trying to develop in kids a vocabulary for being aware of their experience of the world. This is a, a really, really good thing. Um, if you've ever run into someone out there in the world who doesn't seem to be aware of what they're even experiencing, what their own experience looks like, or seems in denial about it. So a lot of this happens when lots of people get angry, they get super frustrated, and then they yell, I'm not angry at something. Or they get really defensive and they're like, I'm not being defensive. Well, their, their awareness of their experience is not lining up. The, the fact that they're yelling means that they're angry, or the fact that they're saying they're not defensive is a sign of defensiveness. So there's this confusion between awareness and experience. Um, okay, then there's how we choose to communicate about our awareness. So I could be super nervous. I can know I'm nervous. Um, I can be apprehensive. I can know I'm, I'm apprehensive. I can be aware of that apprehension. And then I could just straight up tell people that I'm not apprehensive. So in that case, there's a misalignment between my communication and my awareness. I know something's going on, yet I choose not to communicate that thing that I know to uh, an audience. So uh, this is probably easier to spot and maybe more common than, uh, than a misalignment between awareness and experience, although I'm, I'm not really sure. I'm not a therapist or I'm not a psychologist. I think a lot of people, a lot of times uh, people go to therapy and in therapy, they'll spend time developing awareness of their experience. Like that's a foundational component of the therapeutic process because there's a kind of miscommunication or misunderstanding between your awareness and your experience. And then once that gets straightened out, therapists can also work on you communicating with directness that awareness of your experience. Um, but so I, I don't know which one's more prevalent or which one's less prevalent. But uh, so when people choose not to communicate uh, the thing that they're aware of in their experience, they are creating a kind of misalignment between communication and awareness. Okay, so now when someone uh, has an experience, is aware of what that experience is like, and then communicates that awareness clearly, so when there's a strong alignment between awareness, between experience, awareness, and communication, you have authenticity. That person is being authentic. Now, a lot of people um, will want to say that authenticity is also about being non-judgmental. And there is some truth to that. There's some, there's always this attempt um, in authentic communication to be as objective as one can about their experience, their awareness, and then their description or telling or communicating of that awareness. So you try your best to do it in non-evaluative language, and that's because you're trying to kind of represent, the goal of authenticity is to represent awareness and experience 
in as objective a fashion as possible. Um, so we can ask ourselves, like, how often am I authentic when I move through the world? How often am I telling people something that lines up with my awareness and my experience of that thing? You see, and authenticity is, is different. It's very different than um, what you might label brutal honesty or some people like to say, oh, I just like to tell it how it is. Uh, those people are often clueless and stupid. Um, telling it how it is is often an excuse for being super judgmental or evaluative about someone else's position. Um, like saying, oh, you know, you look really fat in those jeans. You think you're just telling it as, as it is, but really that's not authenticity because there's a complex set of emotions that that person is having with their experience of and their awareness of their experience, which is causing them to want to uh, be evaluative of another person's looks in a pair of jeans or something. Um, so I'm trying to say the following that experience and awareness are these really complicated, messy, rich things. And it's actually quite hard to get a handle on a self-reflective handle on your own experience and then a kind of mature communication of that awareness are, are not simple or, or simple things. And so blunt honesty is not authenticity because blunt honesty is often reductive of or ignores the complexity of one's awareness and, and one's experience. So, you know, um, when you're a kid, like when I was a teenager and I had a bunch of friends and male friends are always really insulting to one another. And I'm seeing this with my kids now. My youngest son, his friends, they call each other names all the time when they're playing together. And they're not being authentic. <laughs> they're not being uh, authentic with one another. It's that they're having this complicated experience, which they're often playing sports. So someone's losing, someone's winning, they're frustrated. Uh, they have a whole bunch of emotions around that sport. And they're like just not aware of their experience of that event. And so they just say something pejorative to the other kid. Um, that's actually a sign of inauthenticity. You know, they're, they're judging or they're insulting or they're trying to demean or hurt the other kid because they're reacting to their experience of the world and they haven't sorted out their kind of a, a kind of mature awareness. So there's a kind of inauthenticity because they don't, don't really know, they can't really identify or name or describe their own awareness of their experience, nor could they really communicate about it. So it would look differently. Like if my son's playing basketball with his friends, his team wins, the other team loses, the other team is like, you're, you know, you suck, you're a jerk. Um, you're like, they use really much, I wouldn't even say some of the words they use on this, on the podcast, on, on the playground. But so they say these horrible things to one another, like a mature, authentic person would say something like, oh, um, losing just now was really frustrating. It made me angry. It made me upset. Um, I maybe not want to play with you anymore. So there's a kind of mature uh, description of their awareness of their experience. That, and so those, th those things are, are lining up. Um, okay, so that's what authenticity is. Now, what does it have to do with communication and why does it matter for communication? Um, well, people are, are audiences, whatever the audience, an interpersonal interaction, small group, public speaking, whatever. People are really perceptive judges of authenticity. 
And that's because authenticity comes with, or that's people, that's because there are always already what I might call honest signals, honest communicative signals that are happening in any interaction. Um, so if you're having an experience and you're kind of not really sure or a little bit uncertain about your awareness of that experience, it doesn't mean that your audience isn't aware of the experience you're having. Uh, so let me put it like this. So uh, let's say it's my first day teaching a new class. I'm clearly nervous. I tell myself I'm not nervous. I go into the class and I say, hey, everyone, how's everyone doing? Um, I'm super confident that this is going to be a great, great class. Well, if actually I'm thinking my experience is like, oh my God, this class is going to be terrible. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what I'm doing. If I'm having this kind of internal intrapersonal dialogue, that's, uh, really, that's really negative and, uh, and I'm actually projecting the opposite of that to my audience, the audience doesn't actually need to, um, so the audience will pick up on the honest signals, the nonverbal uh, nervousness, because it will manifest itself in my very being. And not all those audience members will consciously kind of think about those signals. They won't necessarily sit there and consciously think, well, this person is actually really nervous and they're saying they're not nervous. They might, um, but at the very least, they will sense something's off. That is, there's a kind of um, there's a kind of misalignment between what they're being told and what they're hearing. And here I'm using the word hearing broadly, what they're hearing in all of these other ways through all these other signals. Um, and that creates a communication problem. It creates distrust. So the audience automatically is going to be questioning and distrustful of your position uh, or whatever it is you, you are articulating. Um, this is really, really problematic. Um, and the reverse, so, so what happens in communication is that inauthenticity begets inauthenticity. So inauthentic communication produces more inauthentic communication in response. It sort of legitimates the, uh, the, an inauthentic response. So if you say, well, I'm really confident that this semester is going to go great, and clearly you're not, you're nervous, Etc. And you tell that to your, your your students. Your students are not going to respond in authentic ways. They're they're not going to um, communicate their awareness of their experience in ways that line up. They they might be equally as nervous. They might be um, worried, uh, shy, uh, upset about something else, thinking about other things, and they'll just say, "Yeah, yeah, this semester is going to be great." And it's bullshit. It's not true. Like they're they're thinking. A whole bunch of other things they're thinking why did i take this class what have i got myself into am i a good enough student to be at this university like they have all these other components of their experience and their awareness of that experience that they're not communicating so if you are inauthentic with your audience no matter how big or small or where that audience happens to be that audience will be inauthentic with you in in return now the opposite is also true so if authenticity begets further authenticity if you represent yourself, if you, you, if you know what your experience is, if you're aware of that experience and you represent yourself or communicate that awareness in ways that are sincere or line up, then you're likely to produce further authentic responses from someone else. Um, 
So if you say to your students, I'm really nervous, this is my first class, I'm really apprehensive about how this is going to go, I'm not sure that the semester is going to be so great, um, this is, these are why I'm, I'm having these feelings, this is when these, this is when these feelings start, you create a much more, a much greater likelihood that those students will, in turn, also authentically communicate with you, also kind of represent their awareness and their experience in ways that line up with you. Um, so this is what Carl Rogers calls his law of interpersonal communication, congruence begets congruence. And of course, um, so what happens when authentic communication leads to authentic responses is you develop intimacy or closeness. You feel closer to the person who has been authentic with you and who you've had a chance to be authentic with. So authenticity is productive of both, both trust and intimacy in any kind of situation. Um, and that's really, really important. So we feel close and we are, feel able to trust people who are authentic with us and we're likely to be authentic with them. We don't feel intimacy, we feel distance, and we feel distrust with people who aren't inauthentic with us, whose experience, awareness, and communication are not lining up. Um, and we're perceptive, we're really perceptive judges of the presence of that in, in authenticity. We can feel it because there's always kind of, because I think I've said in multiple episodes, communication is multimodal. There's always signals that are having effects on, on others, uh, on us. And those signals, what's happening in an inauthentic communication is that there's, there are discrepancies between the signals. One signal says one thing, one signal says something else, and therefore you have authenticity and you get distrust and distance and kind of leeriness uh, from, from the audience. Um, okay, so the, reason, so the reason authenticity is so valuable in any form of communication is the effect it produces and the effect it produces is trust and closeness or intimacy or uh, that kind of feeling, feeling of connection. Uh, so, but a couple of things. So this is why um, good communicators are, uh, have really, really good intrapersonal communication skills. They're really um, aware of their own experience of the world. They're in tune with themselves uh, is another way of putting it. And then they're also really well positioned or able to uh, represent that effective, that good, or that valuable intrapersonal communication that they have. So um, it requires both things. You can't be a good communicator if you're not, if you don't have a deep sense of uh, self awareness. So. Um, yeah, the, the, this works in, for politicians as, as well as in, in intimate interpersonal relationships. You know, we want to feel connected to our political leaders. Well, how do we feel connected to them when they are authentic with, with us, when they have uh, a kind of experience of the world, they're, they're aware of that and they're willing to communicate about it? I think one of the things that hurts politicians some, sometimes that seem wooden or distant or a little uncomfortable, you know, if they're clearly uncomfortable uh, in certain situations, yet they're not able to say or to describe or to articulate that discomfort. So I'll never forget that debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump when Donald Trump was kind of 
leering over her behind her uh, and kind of menacing. And she tried really hard to handle it coolly and calmly and confidently, but there was an inauthenticity behind that moment. Like he was being a creep. She knew he was being a creep. She felt creeped out by it. And she needed to say <laughs> that she needed to authentically represent her experience and her awareness of that experience in the moment that would have created, I think, more of a connection. So there are these moments with politicians where we sense or we get that the, that that feeling of inauthenticity, that there's some sort of misalignment between communication, um, awareness and experience that is problematic. Um, and that can disrupt sort of the political, the process of political persuasion. Um, I'm always telling my students in, in persuasion and I'm teaching it this semester, like, you know, first you connect, then you convince. Authenticity allows us the possibility of connection uh, in ways that inauthenticity doesn't, even if you're trying to persuade about a, about a proposition. Okay, so that's it for today's episode. Uh, in next week or the next episode, I want to talk about ethos. And Aristotle says that ethos controls the process of persuasion and authenticity is a component of ethos, but it's not the only component. Uh, so I'll be back shortly with another episode about ethos and character and how that influences the communication process. Thanks everyone for listening.